Hello, what's new adapted physical education world? Um, haven't been on for a little while, and that's all right. I've been really busy with the holidays. Uh, I got married to a beautiful young lady over the, the time. It was amazing. Um, went back home to my area in Detroit. Uh, got married at the Detroit Yacht Club uh, on the river next to Canada. So it was just an amazing, amazing time. Um, had all my friends and family out to see us, so haven't been able to keep up with the podcast, but really excited. This uh, assessment, last episode of the assessment panel is really, really fun and cool. Uh, we took audience questions. We had a few former guests who were audience um, questions. We had Beth Foster, who was on way back when, about a year ago, when we did uh, nonprofits, and we did Lauren Lieberman, Dr. Lauren Lieberman, who was on there. Um, from uh, the Campabilities episode. And they had some really profound questions. We asked qu assessment questions that range on how do we spread the word to how do we assess our entire program systematically. And then we have some more finite questions um, about you know how do you do correct verbiage and wording. Now also, I did a follow-up interview and I'm gonna have that on for the next episode with Dr. Dale Ulrich who is the creator of the TGMDs and he comes in talks about why he made those and I have about a 20 minute interview to follow up with this one. So I hope you all enjoy this next one and if you remember our, our panelists include Dr. Lisa Silliman French, my chair for my doctoral committee as well as an APE professor at Texas Women's University and Dr. Barry LeVay a professor in the Department of Kinesiology at California State University and the author or, and co-author Positive Behavior Management and Physical Activity Settings textbook, Katherine Russell, a special education administrator for the Los Angeles County Office of Education, Marcy Pope, a co-director for the Northern California Adaptive Physical Education Consortium and lecturer at California State University. So take care and enjoy the episode. No, it's fine. It was more so um, focusing on just, you know, we talk about the fact that we're losing physical education positions across the U.S. And so focusing on using assessments to be able to provide administrators with support of why our profession is so important and being able to track student progress, not only on their motor skills, but also their um, fitness, endurance, muscular strength, and everything like that. And I don't think in adaptive physical education we do as good of a job as we should at looking at our overall entire program. We focus a lot on one individual student and say, I met this goal and they improved. But being able to take your caseload and kind of put that data together and say, myself or my district as an adaptive physical education unit, this is what we're doing. And I think being able to focus more on that is comparable to physical educators that are doing that right now. But I don't think we do that as adaptive right. physical educators. Are you talking a little bit like, um, like a program assessment, so like program showing, and, yeah, and not just one single student assessment? Okay, right. 
And when I, so I, I've had the unique experience. I've taught APE and I've taught special education. And when I was a special education teacher, they would take like our whole math department and they would compile even all the special ed ones and they would give us a program assessment. So that, is that kind of what you're saying? That we're exactly. not doing stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Right. Uh, Beth, okay, so one of the things I would share is, for example, a lot of, one of the things I like to say to my, my students at the universities is if your administrator came to you um, tomorrow and said, we're going to have a, a meeting and to discuss cutting your program and you've got a couple of weeks, what would you do? Well, the first thing I would do is I would look at data and I would put some type of chart up and see, for example, are my students making progress? And I would talk health-related fitness, I would talk about fitness and, and how much your students need this. And so that piece, when we look at the purpose of assessment, probably one of the last things we think about and we should think about, you know, we think placement, we think programming, we think motivation, we think um, evaluating our program, but we should also be thinking about um, how can we advocate for our program, how can we justify why physical education needs to be in this, we need this more than anything, what's more important than your health? All right, we know that, I'm just speaking to the choir right now, but we need to educate other people, and sometimes the only thing they'll listen to is data. So that's how I'd respond to that. I, yeah, and I, I think that, that it is a good question. And look at that overall piece is how do we effectively assess our entire program and our other, you know, our other departments, I think, are doing that. So, yeah. All right, I'd like to think my question's a little more simple than that one. So a little more friendly to the Saturday morning situation we're in. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've heard some talk about TGMD3 from your panel, I think, and I've heard about that assessment coming out. Currently, my department's just now beginning to start to use TGMD2, which I've used in the past. I'm wondering, is it still um, an appropriate test to use knowing that TGMD3 is coming? Um, is it still current enough to present in IEPs and on reports? Yes, it, yes, it still is current and you still, you could still use it. The TGMD3 based on Dale should be, it's ready to go, they're just um, next, this summer. I would share is probably the TGMD is one of the better tests to that defensible because of the validity and it was, it was norm reference on a stratified sample all over the United States of over 800 children. It's one of the few tests that really you could get up there and say, this is valid, this is reliable, this is administratively feasible. And so that, that's important and that's often overlooked. Um, and so, and the TGMD3, he presented last year at our conference, there's only really some subtle changes that are going to be in, this, in the TGMD3 as far as the items. Can, can I, um, just so the TGMD3 is not out just yet, right. correct? No. But it's coming out. And we're using it right now because we're in our, we, in our TWU program. In our, yeah. <laughs> but um, real quickly, could you talk about... Well, just real quick on your comment on the TGMD2, I just want to say one quick thing. I, I always stress that if you're going to use the TGMD2 or th whenever it comes out three for placement, I always have a little red flag that goes up. Always add, and I teach this uh, to my students always, add additional information because it's only 12 items. And you're, you're, we're, our, the general ed students are doing more than 12 items. They're doing a lot more. So I always, for example, ask my students, if you're gonna use the TGMD2, that's fine, because it has the valid, reliable information, great, especially if you end up going to the courthouse. But 
I say add the C-tape items. There's 25 items on there. Pull in about five or six of those items. Get jump roping in there. Get, or add fitness. Quickly do the Brockport. Just throw some fitness stuff in there. So you have more than just the 12 items. And I think uh, Dale has mentioned that he supports that inf- to do that. You know, when you look at the way the TGMD is set up, um, it's criterion reference and norm reference because you're at you, you know you, you're assigning points to the criteria, and if you look at you can there are a number of um, if you look at the appendices you can look at age group equivalencies you can look you could come up with this gross motor quotient you can look at it from a locomotor and object control separately there are a number of um, things that you can share with parents about the child especially age equivalency. My opinion, this is Lisa, make this loud and clear. It is not, my opinion, it is not a good placement um, assessment item, uh, instrument. That's my opinion. I think you need more information because it doesn't provide enough information for placement. My opinion. You know, tests are specific, and so if you wanted to, you know, what I would say is that you're looking at fundamental motor skills. You're looking at locomotor and object control on the TGMD. That's not going to tell you anything about fitness. You need to use the Brockport fitness test or the fitness gram. And, and the other thing is then you get into administrative feasibility. How much time do you have? Are you gonna, how much time can you spend with this child unless that child is in your program? You know, then you can spend a lot of time with that child. And so you have all these, it's not a perfect science, and there's, there's all this give and take. I'm sure there's other people out here that ha- have all administered the TGMD and have other thoughts about that that maybe want to share. Lauren, do you have a question about the TGMD or another question? Can I just say, uh, as a, from an administrative standpoint, um, whatever your, your most current assessment is, whatever the latest version is, is what you want to be using that's published uh, or out because um, attorneys will ask those questions as to, well, what version are you using? And when you are using the older one, um, they will say, well, why haven't you used the newer one? Was the validity and reliability on this? So you want to make sure as new assessment comes out that your school districts, departments, you, whatever, professionally are um, buying the newer assessments and have them in your repertoire. Uh, to use because you don't want to be stuck using an older version of an assessment when there's been a newer one that's come out. And, and what Kathy just said, you need to tell your administrator. What really bothers me is when uh, teachers come out and say, "Could you send me the TGM?" Uh, no, it's it's a published. It's like you know, it's it's that's plagiarism. So my my point is that if your administrator says, "Well, we don't have any money," says, you know, if I'm in a at an IEP meeting and I need to have the updated tests. I need assessment instruments, just like your, the school psych needs assessment instruments. You need to advocate for these things. You need to be able to articulate that I am a professional. I need assessment tools. That's is what we do for a living. Okay, I'm, that's just a really that bugs me. All right. Well, this is actually embarrassing. Then, if this is what bugs you, Barry, because um, <laughs> and and. I'm, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I, I was meeting with the, he's the director of health and physical education from the Rochester, Rochester Public Schools. So the entire school district in Rochester, New York, this guy governs, he's, so they, they actually hired BOCES, which is our, our special education bureau. They hired BOCES to develop a gross motor assessment. I don't know what their background was, and it just is like Gallup, yes or no. 
And, and it was like this very, very objective or subjective assessment. And I'm looking at this assessment that all the teachers in Rochester Public Schools, Rochester City Schools are using. And we had a meeting with this guy. And Amori Samalot, some of you know Amori, he's a, a colleague of mine and adapted. We were showing him the TGMD. Okay, mind you, he's the director of health and physical education. He's like, wow, that's such a cool assessment. Wow, is that new? <laughs> yeah. Um, 1985, right? So then, then I just went to another workshop or an in-service with some teachers over in Buffalo, and several school districts were also creating their own gross motor assessments that weren't valid or reliable. Just some PTs got together and put down some gross motor skills that, again, were subjective. And they don't know about the TGMD, which is, it's beyond me. How does anybody not know about a valid and reliable assessment that's been around since 1985? And so my, my question, I, I agree, I think they would buy it if they knew about it. And my issue is, I mean, the fact that the director of the Rochester City School District, and then you know, he's calling up some of our grads who are teaching in the school district and telling them they have to do an in-service on how to use the TGMD. And so that's, that's an issue that I have right now is, is, yeah, it's great that the TGMD3 is coming out. How are we going to advertise it to these administrators that... That, that, that really don't, I don't know what they read, I don't know where, what, what information or where they can get information, but we need to be speaking to at, at administrator conferences, superintendent conferences, because yeah, they, ha, they can be sued if they're not using appropriate assessments, but we need to get the word out there. I'm not sure how we can do that, but it's embarrassing to me when you have these kind of administrators that don't even know about it. Well, well let me ask a question out of the audience. How many people have used the Brunix Oskarensky? Okay. All right, how many people are familiar with the, the bot too, the Brunix too? The case is so much different in caring. I mean, I've had, had people say to me, oh, I don't want to use it, it's a long test, everything else. But if you're not familiar with the newer version or the, the CD for it and all, all the things that come with it, because you aren't familiar with these newer assessments, just like the TGMD3 that's coming or the TGMD2 from the TGMD, you have to kind of stay current on those things. You have to keep looking it up. You have to keep checking with other people, check with the universities, see what's out there, um, because different versions come out of these things. And, and we forget, you know, we get stuck on the one assessment we have, and, and like you said, we have trouble getting new assessments um, uh, paid for. But, but if psychologists are getting the new Woodcock-Johnson uh, 3 and um, some of the other assessments that they use, uh, the latest versions, um, we, we have um, the responsibility to get the same ones that we need for our assessment as well. And so we need, to, we need to advocate for that. So Lauren, just a few comments. It seems like since we've been in this field, we've always had this, that's why we always have assessment problems always, it just is continuous. And there are so many adaptive physical educators across the United States that are just making up their own assessments. It's everywhere, it's everywhere. So it's back to our administrators building that bridge and that's what Scott is really interested in his future research is um, building this bridge with our administrators because they are the key to the success of us in, our, in the field, they are the key. So if you have an ear that's willing to listen, we, you can make major dents in the program and just keep building it and hopefully it will you know, trickle and have a nice domino effect. 
Um, but we need, we, earlier we talked about the um, legislation in Adaptive P, and Scott was mentioning, do we need stronger regulations, stronger statements in Adaptive P? Yes, we do. And that, hope, that could help, too. But even administrators right now, we're still battling this uh, instructional versus related, direct versus related. We're still having problems with that. And it's, still, it's just going on and on. And now assessment, we're still having problems. So we just have to go back to, you know, go to the consortium, work with that, that team to get the advocates for legislation and make the changes up there to trickle down to our administrators to hopefully well, I'm solve. also thinking, you know, we, we spend money to come to these conferences yeah. and we actually went to the state athletic director conference about something else, but I, I think that it would be smart of us to write, to write articles and go to some of those national um, athletic director administrator conferences because that's where uh, the people who are going to make the difference are going to be. Agree. Our, you are 100% correct. Special ed directors, when they have those meetings, we need to be part of those meetings and change their minds and just get awareness, be advocates to change them so they understand our field much better than what they think it is now. I think sometimes those conferences, though, are pretty exclusive and, and there is realistic. Yeah. It's hard to get into some of those because um, that is somewhere that I'm really interested in my research is the special ed director's perspective on who we are. Um, but with that, um, I, I, something that I've noticed, and I, something with my podcast, honestly, is my whole thing is that I want other, not just us to know we, who we are, and I think that's great, but I also want other people to be able to know who we are, and like special ed directors, and so, so this is something that hopefully that a few special ed directors are listening to, and something that you might be able to give to them, and it's a little bit more passive, uh, like an article or something, hey, check this out, there's a podcast out there for special ed directors. But I also think that uh, APE, um, yeah, I, I talk to people, I'm, I'm younger in the field, but I talk to people that are older and then been here for a long time, and these problems of us for assessment or us not being well known, they're not new. Um, they've been around and they haven't changed a lot of times. Now APA, Adaptive Physical Activity, seems to be changing right now. There seems to be change in perception, knowledge of us, but not in APE. And I think sometimes we have a marketing issue, um, just not with assessment, but overall. And I don't know exactly what the answer is, but I think that we don't advertise ourselves overall very well. And I don't know how to do that, but I think it's something to look into in the future. Well, sometimes it's a state-by-state -state issue, too, as well. You know, you know what I mean? Like, like Lauren's point, she's talking about upstate New York. and. You know, there are a lot of administrators, and what I'm taking from all what we're talking about, I mean, I've been in this field for 40 years, and, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm in a time capsule, and what decade is it? Is it the 70s? Is it the 80s? Is it the 90s? Um, but, and we're going backwards, but the reality is, is we just have to keep advocating and educating people and not always speaking to the choir. It's a lot more fun to speak to the choir because everybody's going to reinforce you, and it's, it's not easy to go in to a bunch of special ed directors and saying, hey, what you're doing is incorrect and we need to do this. You can do that in a professional way. And so I think that's, that's what's important and, and that's what I would take away here. Is if everybody in this audience went back Monday and educated their special ed director, that's why we developed the guidelines for, for AP in California. The first thing that we did with the guidelines was give it to every special ed director. Now, did they read it? Maybe not, but but it's there. And so you have an obligation, I believe, as a, a, as a professional that is educated and knows better to educate others. 
and you have to juggle and a lot, there's a lot of things you have to juggle you have to juggle life but you have to you have I believe you have an obligation to um, educate others that don't know our field hi um, just a practical question um, when I'm closing up my report and I'm giving my recommendations and you're saying you know don't use qualify eligibility criteria benefit you know and we're told that we give the Volkswagen and not the Cadillac and that everybody yeah. would benefit but so what wording would you use in conclusion my report you know Joey uh, blank for adaptive physical education services in the guidelines I believe we use the word need um, and you're not just saying that they needed adapted physical education, but also that LRE, the setting in which it was going to happen. So you're making that, you've just made this whole case, and because of this whole case that you just wrote all about, this is what you're saying they need to be able to access their, the best of the motor skills that they possibly can and all the aspects of physical education. So, need. But that whole qualifying eligibility, that's the tricky piece. I agree with um, Marcy with just saying that. And another thing that we reinforce in our state, I, I'm not too keen on the words directed and consult. So I just say there's a need for adaptive, adaptive physical education services two times a week for 30 minutes in addition to their general physical education program. And that just doesn't throw any alarms up. And then the paperwork business they can take care of. So I'm not too keen on the verbiage either. I just like to say, this is what we're going to do. This is the need for the, your child, and that's it. Nancy's question is an interesting one if you really like look at the underlying tones to it. Because I think one of the things philosophically is the point she made about we're going to give them a, a Volkswagen versus a Cadillac. One of the things that a lot of new teachers when they come back to talk to me, um, say is that, um, you know, this child needs this, but my administration said that's going to cost too much money or, or whatever. And so you, you philosophically are really um, drawn on what am I supposed to do, you know? And the bottom line is that you want to try to do what's best for that child, and you need to, like, maybe beforehand talk to your administration, talk to your special ed director, talk to that lead teacher. Here are the things that I think this kid really needs and this is what I'm gonna talk about at the meeting. You know, and because we're getting into a philosophical thing. The uniqueness about our program, which I love, is it's different in every, everywhere you go. You go next door, it's different, you have a different administrator, you have to act differently. You go to this one, we have to do this new verbiage over here. So that's the beauty of we're continuously changing. But the downside of that is what Lauren was mentioning, or where all of us were mentioning, we're not consistent. Even though we have this feds up here and they, this is what we're supposed to be doing, each state interprets, interprets it differently than you have each special education. Uh, LEA is uh, interpreting that differently. So we're, we're not uniform at all across so but the beauty is we're advocates so we can make the changes and hopefully trickle back up do we want to be uniform oh no i don't okay <laughs> that was marcy speaking okay that <laughs> <laughs> i agree sorry that was lisa <laughs> okay is there any other questions <laughs> we'll take the last one all right Hi, I'm Sean from the uh, West Contra Costa Unified School District. I'm an APE specialist, and uh, thanks for going over um, today. 
Um, but I'd like to just pose a question um, kind of through a hypothetical scenario. Um, so let's say you have a student that is receiving services and the student has every right to have access to whether it's general ed PE or their specially designed PE. Um, but the teacher, the placement, it's not safe and it's not su successful for the student. So um, you have the student on consultation. The skills are there. You're not working directly with the student. Um, you're there to support that student and to support that teacher and to modify the program and uh, to modify the environment. The teacher is not following through. The modifications aren't happen happening. And uh, the kid continues to struggle with, with uh, whatever the placement might be. As an APE specialist, what do you do in that situation? Well, hopefully you have a good rapport with your administrator. That would be my first uh, uh, conversation. Um, I probably would uh, take that back because, again, uh, based on the, the data that's collecting, you're co this is part of the data. They're not implementing the program that's been designed. And this was an IEP team decision. This is a legal document. This is something that you may need to, if you've got a good relationship with this teacher, say, hey, here's the legal document. We need to kind of do this. Um, you know. And, and if you can go that route, great. If you can get them on board, fine. But if you can't, because you don't supervise them and, and contractually and other things, you probably want to take the next step up there and saying, this is what's going on. Here's the documentation. I'd like you to come out and see what's going on. Um, see if you can get them on board that way so that they can talk directly, their supervisor can talk directly to them and say, look, we need to implement this. And it may be a, a program specialist that's involved. It may be the resource specialist, whoever the case manager is. You may need to take a look at those pieces as well. Um, but go the next step up as far as your administration. But make sure you have good documentation. Again, data, data is key. It's gold. And so you need to make sure that you have, have that. Um, and that you've also tried to document, you know, how can I help you and what can we try? What have you tried? You know, you, know, you seem uh, still a little nervous. What's going on here? See if you can't get that relationship piece and get that buy-in and say, look, you know, come on over here while I'm doing it. And let them try it and see if they can you know, alleviate some fears. Um, but you kind of have to do a little bit of more digging and investigative and some hand-holding. You don't want to ruin that relationship for, um, for future. Um, so you kind of want to tread very carefully. Uh, but you definitely, if it's, if it's a compliance issue, you're going to have to say, hey, you know, we've got to restructure this because this is a legal document. Bottom line is parents are going to come back there and say, why wasn't this implemented and why wasn't something done? I just want to add that um, to collect the, the data, we were able to use um, at school sites an RTI team, and they have somebody who goes around to do this data collection, and so I gave them the things to look for, and they watched a week of general PE so that we had, we had that data. The scenario you're giving us is, you know, early in my career as a teacher, this happened on a couple of different occasions. This happens a lot. And at first, you know, you struggle, and you want to be a team player, and, and you know that you're going to be going to that school and working at that school, and, and so you don't want to burn all the bridges down. And, and some teachers get it. You know, like you, you say, hey, come, let's work together. Let's let me show you how I would do it, or let's do stations, and or let me show, give you some strategies. But but there sometimes 
they get it. Like if you have to get to the next step where you say, you know, if this doesn't happen, I'm obligated to do this. And most teachers will get that. But if they don't, that's a hard thing. Then you got to go to your administration, your special ed director. I have a question for you, Sean. Yeah. Do you have an administrator that will listen to you, that will support you? Yes, we do. That's who I would go to immediately and okay. just, just start the discussion and have solutions right. and have them help you decide which avenue to choose for the solution. Right, because that was my greatest fear was just, because we are, I mean, uh, with paraprofessionals, teachers, I mean, we have to keep that relationship. And so that was my, you know, just questions. And, How do we balance that? But I like that. First, trying to work with the teacher, yeah, figuring you, you it out. You want to try to do something, and maybe then going to admin. Maybe trying something where you're doing some training for them because right. maybe it's a real fear factor kind of thing. You know, they don't want to throw a ball and be liable because the ball hits the kid right. in the head. Yeah. So, so it may be a lot of hand holding and training and the willingness for you to take some of the gen ed students with you when you're out there in a station or an activity and have him take some of the kids and you guys kind of breaking that up. You're going to have to develop that relationship piece, and so you're going to have to get creative, as you are with the kids, with this particular individual. But then, yes, absolutely, you need to let the administrator know. Okay. I was just trying to make sure that you communicate, if you had an administrator, that they know what you're doing. Of course, speaking with the teachers is very important, but just having that support behind you, knowing that you're making those right decisions, because safety... That is a major red flag. Mm -hmm. that's, that's the key that's to, that's always first and foremost is safety. And if it's not safe, there's, now we have to sort that out. Mm -hmm. okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Um, all right, so we are going to finish up. I, I really love this discussion. It seemed like we had a bunch of people trickling in and out. I don't even know how many people we had. But it was exciting. And um, I want to say thank you to the panel. Thank you to the audience. Before we go, I want to see, can each one of you just say, like, like one sentence on what you want them to take away on assessment. The one thing I want to remind everybody and for everybody to think about is assessment is more than the tests and it's more than the scores. One quick thing to say is think of the, think of the child, think of the student and where you're taking them for their next couple of years and make sure that you use appropriate assessments. Multifaceted. Don't forget um, low-incident kids, severely disabled, that you can informally assess as well as standardized assessment. Those are some things I'd share. I don't know if we have time to do this, but I just want to make a real quick plug for Scott's podcast and how much I've enjoyed the podcast and, and how much I've used it with my university students and uh, just taking little pieces of it and say, well, you know, if I'm lecturing on a certain aspect, and I said, let's listen to this one piece. And um, I, I would really um, support what, what Scott's doing because I, th I think it really has a real impact. There's a lot of people that would rather listen to a podcast than read a chapter in a, in a textbook. And I, I, it's interesting that I would say this because I just think everybody should just be consuming all kinds of literature and everything. But I realize that uh, a lot of people are just auditory learners and they would just rather listen to a podcast while they're on the 405 trying to get to their next school. So that's a wonderful medium to use. And uh, I support Scott and I hope he continues to do it. Thank I you. have to follow that. Wow. Um, the, one, the one thing um, I think that I, that I always think of is the whole child. Uh, 
that this is about a whole child, that we are looking at the motor functioning of the child, but how it fits in all aspects, functionally, in the classroom, on the playground, in the field, at home. You're looking at it in so many different levels um, that, that really and truly, you're the kind of bind and connection for all the other pieces and, and that, that the child is assessed for um, because, because of, of that. And so just remembering that we are looking at, at the whole child. And I agree with Barry. All right, well, thank you so much. And thanks for those that stayed. And, and let's give everyone a round of applause. And